In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Last week, St. Paul warned us about the evident works of the flesh and how they are at war with the spirit that is in us. He bids us to repent, to turn away from these things by getting out of the way of the Holy Spirit's work in our baptism, where he begins to produce in us the fruit that we call love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. Well, with this week, our epistle is just a continuation of that same line of teaching. We actually just pick up in the next verse from Galatians chapter 5. So, St. Paul begins by saying, If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. So then, using our epistle reading, let's take a look at how we handle sin and temptation within the household of faith and how we are to continue to strive for good until the Lord calls us to himself. As we heard last week, we cannot expect to live sin-free on this side of glory. While we daily drown the old Adam in the waters of our holy baptism by the routine of confession and absolution, that old Adam, our fallen nature, continues to hang around us until that day that we actually die. But with this week's word, St. Paul equips us with another powerful weapon in the fight against our old Adam. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. As Christians, we are familiar with our own battle with sin. We, like St. Paul, lament the fact that the evil that we don't want to do, that's what we keep on doing. And the good that we want to do, well, we're not doing that very well. But something happens when sinners get together with one another. They sin against each other. Sin separates us from one another, seemingly causing the waters of baptism to become a little choppy in the turbulence. St. Paul helps us to navigate these waters by helping us deal with sins in a godly manner. So first, he reminds us that we have a duty and a responsibility to actually deal with sin rather than simply sweeping it under the rug and ignoring it. As I've already said, sin divides us from each other, and ignoring it, well, that doesn't really do us any favors. The goal of dealing with sin within the household of faith is not to pull the nuclear bomb out and destroy our opponents. The world, when it deals with sin, only wants to punish it. Cancel culture has shown us that social media posts from more than a decade ago are punishable by dismissal from polite society. We're told to shun the offender rather than to work to restore him. 
Restoration is always to be the goal when it comes to dealing with sin within the church, however. Dear saints, this is how our Lord Jesus deals with us. While we were yet his enemies, says St. Paul in Romans 5, Christ died for us. And by his death, he has reconciled us to the Father. And as he has reconciled us to himself, so also we are to be reconciled then to one another. How do we do that? Well, Jesus actually touches on this in Matthew chapter 18. And he tells us probably something that maybe goes against our conception of how we deal with sin. He says that we are to go to the one who has sinned against us. That might seem a little bit backwards for how our natural man wants to, to deal with it. We're not to wait for the sinner to come to the, re the, the realization that he has done something to us. We are to go to him. As we mentioned in catechism class this week at school, this prevents us then, if we go and talk to the one who has sinned against us, this prevents us from spending our time grumbling and complaining about how someone else has wronged me. Jesus would have us go to that person who has wronged us to confront the sin. When we go to that person, St. Paul reminds us that we are to go in a spirit of gentleness, that we can show them their sin. Again, our, our natural wisdom tells us that it's harmful and it's actually hateful to point out sin. But ironically, the way cancel, cancel culture actually works, hate is precisely the reason that you do point out sin. But we have at our disposal a cure for sin. And that is the very blood of Jesus Christ that atones for all of our sin. We pray that the Holy Spirit, who alone gives us this spirit of gentleness, would pour out the forgiveness that he has poured out upon us, would pour it out through us onto one another. And the wonderfully freeing thing about forgiving someone in Christ's name is that those sins that we've pronounced the absolution upon, those sins really are forgiven for the sake of Jesus. For you see, the forgiveness that we speak is not a power that you or I have on our own. It's not something that we simply get by virtue of being Christians, some quality within ourselves. But the forgiveness that we have for one another flows from the fact that Christ has forgiven us. That he has paid for the sins of the whole world by his death upon the cross. And then has commanded us to share that forgiveness with one another. The life of forgiveness enables us to share the burden that sin places upon us and upon our relationships just like a big piece of furniture is much easier to move when you have help, so also the burden of sin becomes lighter and easier to bear. St. Paul calls this the law of Christ, which then should remind us that through the forgiveness of sins that we share with one another, Jesus actually comes along 
the side of us to shoulder our burden of sin in his own body on the cross. So we see that as Christians, we cannot simply ignore sin. Sin is divisive. It is deadly to us. St. Paul reminds us, for if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor, for each will have to bear his own load. This reminds us of St. John's first epistle where he says if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Is there a worse lie than to lie to ourselves about our own sinful condition? So St. Paul urges us, therefore, to confront sins in ourselves and in one another so that we can be confident that our faith in Christ is living and is active. It's not a matter of just hoping we do better than the guy next to us. We can't believe for another person, so we cannot act in faith for another person either. And so, people loved by God, if each of us contends with sin, with the spirit of gentleness, with the goal of restoration, the work of the Holy Spirit, the forgiving work of Jesus, will overflow from us here in this place, and it will redound to the glory of our Heavenly Father, and others then will know that we truly are Christ's disciples by our love for each other. The work of reconciliation with one another is the reason that Christ has established his church and the office of the ministry. It is our confession. Our Lutheran fathers at Augsburg said that in order that we may obtain justifying faith, that is, saving faith, the ministry of teaching the gospel and administering the sacraments was instituted. For through the word and the sacraments, as through instruments, the Holy Spirit is given, who works faith when and where he pleases, in them that hear the gospel. The fact that Christians are a people who forgive one another proceeds from the work of the Holy Spirit in the preaching of the word and the administration of the sacraments. Without that, we have no basis to forgive one another, nor would we have the power or the will to do it. And so, as our epistle ends, it's only logical that St. Paul takes the turn that he does. St. Paul then, after speaking about how we deal with sin one to another, turns our attention to the provision of the office of the ministry within the church. St. Paul says, Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. 
So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, especially to those who are of the household of faith. And so, in order for the absolving work of Christ to continue among us, it is essential that the church provides for the ministry. Right now, we are coming out of the lull of summer where offerings have been a bit slim. That is kind of our historic pattern as years go by. Matt tells me that sometimes it's a little bit difficult to write checks to pay the bills. And we're getting to the point where we've started to talk again about the line of credit. And to compound that problem, as you are probably well aware, interest rates are way up again, which means that we have the potential to fall farther and farther behind in our budget. What we sow, says St. Paul, especially in terms of our stewardship, is what we will reap. And, and so, people loved by God, I, I know how much you love this church. I know how much you love our school. And I know that all of you are behind the ministry of these things. So then, let's put our money where our love for these institutions are so that we might reap a bountiful harvest in this time and see even a more fruitful harvest as the time comes for the Lord to gather us all in on the last day. But providing for the office of the ministry is more than just putting dollars in the plate. At the convention this summer, and I'm probably going to talk, I, I keep talking about the convention. It was kind of a big deal, as you guys may have figured out. At the convention this summer, I witnessed a whole lot of hand-wringing, and it's still going on. I've seen it on social media. Don't tell my wife that I'm back on Twitter. Uh, but I witnessed a, a lot of hand-wringing over the shortage of pastors and teachers in the church. You guys who are in school, I'm talking especially to you you who are preparing for your careers later on. I want to encourage the young men of our congregation to consider becoming pastors. And I want the young women in our church to consider becoming teachers and deaconesses in our church. Here in Jackson County alone, we have such a bounty of Christian education with three elementary schools and middle schools and a high school, we will need, in the years to come, pastors to fill those pulpits. And we will need teachers to be in those classrooms. And so I invite you, as you think about what you might want to do someday when you grow up, to come and talk to me about this. Or talk to one of your Lutheran school teachers about this. And consider pursuing this calling of work in the church. And so, people loved by God, our Lord Jesus Christ, whose body was sown in the tomb, has arisen to reap a harvest of eternal life. So then, let us not weary of doing good, of working to forgive one another, even as we have been forgiven, that more and more souls would be brought in at the final harvest when Jesus comes at the end of all things. Let us pray that the Lord would continue to make this place a fruitful field by blessing our preaching and the stewardship of his gifts. 
And in so doing, in due season, the Lord of the harvest will in fact reap a bountiful harvest here at Valonia. In Jesus' name. And now the peace of God, which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus our Lord.